Today's episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard is sponsored by HBO Films' new movie, OG, premiering this Saturday at 10 p.m. OG stars Jeffrey Wright as Lewis, who is in the final weeks of his 24-year sentence in a maximum security prison. OG takes an intimate and unflinching look at the journey of one man at the precipice of freedom. After nearly a quarter century behind bars, he must confront the impact of his actions and the challenges of re-entering society. Groundbreaking, it was filmed on location at Pendleton Correctional Facility in Indiana, and its cast includes several of the men incarcerated there. The film premiered at the 2018 Tribeca Film Festival, where Wright won the award for Best Actor in a U.S. Narrative Feature Film. Be sure to tune in to OG streaming on HBO Now and HBO Go. So you see a lot of, you know, lower, and, and that's really a class issue, and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning, and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. Right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good morning. Good morning. In the words of, um, in the spirit of Cardi B, I hope, I was going to say I hope everyone is busting it down, but like that doesn't translate well into like, I just, I just hope everyone's having positive vibes. Okay. Um, my name is Selena Hill, sitting in place of Stanley Fritz. Yeah. Because he decided to have a birthday and actually oh, he decided to have night. a birthday like he's not allowed to have a birthday. <laughs> no. So he decided to have a birthday and actually celebrate with his best friends. It was on Instagram live. I know. He didn't invite me to this birthday. It was all it was all it was men. all men. It was all men. No, because I honestly, Alyssa, I was about to text That's him and be like, sexist. where was my invite? No, literally, Stanley, lucky for you. It was all men. So I was not as offended. Um, but yeah, so he had fun, so he's probably hung over. So shout out to Stanley. He was smoking cigars and yeah. he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> no, uh, smoking cigars is not like the way people make it look cool, it's not that cool. Like I tried and I was horrible. Yeah, but you don't smoke. Right? Yeah, I don't smoke, so I was like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk politics, social issues, pop culture, and Stanley's personal business every Sunday, <laughs> right here on WATR 90.3 FM, uh, the voice of Harlem. Our correspondent, Jackie Cohen, is not here either, but we have a very special guest who we will introduce in a few more moments after I throw it to Alyssa. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Uh, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I am your political and legal correspondent. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs, or of course, you can always leave leave a comment on the Politically Preposterous fan page. As you can probably tell, I'm a little nasal today. I'm um, coming down with a little something something, um, you know, but I guess it's that time of year. So, you know, and um, I'm glad to be back on this week. Um, you know, really missed everybody last week when we weren't able to be on the air, unfortunately. And we have a really good show planned for you today. Um, but before we get there, I'm going to introduce our special guest correspondent today. Um, this is Carrie Kutri. She's also a lawyer. She's a political activist and she does pro bono immigration work. And she's also, a, I should say, a queer activist. Um, so we're really, really happy to have her on today joining us in studio to talk about these really important stories and issues. Um, morning, Carrie. Thanks, Alyssa. I'm really excited to be here. This is a really great show we have planned for you guys. Oh, yeah. And Carrie, you know, we are so happy. She's also a longtime fan of the show. So now she's That's actually true. 
on the show. Um, so, um, you know, shout out to you. Um, yeah, so guys, we do have a great show. We're going to be talking about everything from Colin Kaepernick and that contract that he apparently uh, he signed. Uh, we don't really know the details, but we're going to talk about how that how this makes us feel about the Take a Knee protests and the boycotts. And those of us who decided not to watch the NFL, particularly because of uh, Kaepernick, you know, where does that leave us now? So we're going to talk about that. And then we have a uh, a longer segment where we're going to talk about Bernie, Kamala, 2020, Russia trolls, and what we can do to make sure that we win the White House in 2020. I mean, honestly, when I look back at 2016, I feel like there are a lot of lessons to be learned. And we're going to talk about how we can apply those lessons to 2020 moving forward to make sure that we win back the White House. And let me just say, it is not a guarantee that a Democrat will win. There is a there is a very uh, strong likelihood that Donald Trump could get reelected. Absolutely. And I don't think people should underestimate that. Don't underestimate it. We need to be strategic and we need to start talking about 2020 now. I get it. We're still in the beginning of 2019, but 2020 is going to be here like that. And we do not want Donald Trump to win again, do we? No, definitely not. Okay, so shout out to everyone who is watching us via Facebook Live. We have Chad R. McDonald, one of our, a friend of the show. He says, "Uh, good luck. (laughs) Thank you for that, Chad. And to everyone else, I also wanted to thank everyone who happens to be listening via podcast, on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes. Uh, We appreciate you guys as well. Um, And people who are uh, watching us and tweeting, thank you so much for that. And remember, if you want to continue to support Let Your Voice Be Heard, the best way to do so is by leaving a donation or signing up for our Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash beheardradio if you support us will continue to support the issues that you most care about. On that note... And before we go to break, if you are listening on the dial, 90.3 FM, you can always call us at 212-650-6903. Absolutely. So we are going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're talking about all of the news stories of the week that made us laugh, cry, or tweet. This is Let Your Voice be heard and we are back this is let your voice be heard right here on whcr 90.3 fm the voice of harlem again my name is selena hill i'm here at my co-host Alyssa fuchs and our very special guest correspondent carrie who is super super smart and happy uh-huh. to be here. Um, okay, guys, so we're kicking off the news roundup. Like we said, we're talking about all the news stories that really caught our attention. And, I mean, what do you guys think about Jesse Smollett? So we know in January, he supposedly had, uh, he was, supposedly he said he was a victim of a hate crime, uh, a violent attack where two people called him uh, gay slurs and racial slurs, right? We did a whole show on how hard it is to be a gay black man in America. We did that on Let Your Voice Be Heard, and you can check that out on SoundCloud in the archive section. Um, And it turns out that it may not have been uh, what the case. Um, So the Chicago PD, they had a full press conference where they said Jussie is lying, and he he made up this whole story just so that he can raise... um, 
he can get more money from the show he stars on Empire. Um, so there's a lot of back and forth. I'll say this when and I said this on Let Your Voice Be Heard when I first heard the story and the allegations, I said it was hard to believe. It sounded very contrived. And now, you know, people like me, I, I just it's I'm gonna just to be frank, I get it, you know, everyone is proven you're innocent until proven guilty, but I'm not believing the story. And I know he has been indicted. Uh, so, uh, Alyssa, I'm going to throw it to you for thoughts. Yeah, so first thing, an indictment is not a finding of guilt, right? It's just a finding where a grand jury essentially believes that there's probable cause to proceed with a case. Um, so it may come out later on if, you know, this goes forward um, that, you know, they find him not guilty. That said, it's an interesting thing because on one hand, I was inclined to disagree with you the last yes. time we discussed this. And I said, you know, we should believe victims of crimes and, you know, that we should believe him if he said this happened to him. Um, and now, you know, I don't even know what to believe because on <laughs> one hand, it's like, do I really believe the police? You know, as somebody mm. who sues the police regularly, I have a really hard time believing the police and especially the Chicago Police Department um, at that because, you know, we know the Chicago Police Department has lied over and over and over again. We even knew that when we were talking about the Laquan McDonald case. And so we know that the Chicago Police Department also has a reason to lie, especially when it comes to people of color. Um, and so now I find myself sort of torn because on one hand, I'm like, you know, this doesn't really add up. And I kind of am inclined to like agree with Selena that, you know, maybe he's lying and that there's a lot of things about the story that are contrived. But on the other hand, I don't you know, know if I really necessarily believe the Chicago Police Department either. Carrie, where do you stand on this? And do you think that just because there's a possibility he may have fabricated this story, this puts LGBTQ people at harm and in danger of not being believed moving forward. Yeah, well, I, I certainly hope that that's not the case because, you know, LGBT people are victims of crimes in, in a lot of places at much higher rates than other types of people. Um, so I certainly hope that's not the case. But you know, my first inclination was similar to Alyssa's not to believe the Chicago PD's allegations that Jesse Smollett was lying. Um, now that it comes out, you know, that there seems to be more and more evidence uh, mounting on the allegations that he was lying, I still have a hard time kind of making sense of this story because on one hand, there does seem to be a lot of evidence, but on the other hand, I can't really understand the motivation that he would have had in order to lie in this situation. And, um, you know, part of me thinks that maybe part of this sort of publicity stunt culture where a lot of uh, celebrities do kind of wild things in order to make their name more, uh, you know, prevalent in the public. But in this case, it seems to have backfired if he was lying. So uh, I kind of have a hard time making sense of the story on either side. They said he was lying because he wanted to get paid more and he didn't want his character to be written off the show. And meanwhile, now he is getting his character written off the show. So it, it like to me, that seems like it doesn't make sense. I, I mean, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. You know, when more information comes out, um, you know, but speaking of other people charged with a crime this week, R. Kelly finally got charged also in Cook County, Illinois, which is where Chicago is. Um, and, and, you know, good. That was a long time coming. Uh, but at the same time, it also raises a question of whether or not the Chicago Police Department felt pressure to finally charge R. Kelly with a crime due to the fact that, you know, this Jesse Smollett story was happening at the same time. And there's this interesting juxtaposition there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, it was a long time coming for uh, R. Kelly. Uh, we know that a recent sex tape came out in which um, prosecutors say on tape a 14-year-old victim repeatedly says her age. And I think even R. Kelly, uh, like, confirms it at one point in the tape. Um, but his defense 
attorneys are saying that this tape was uh, is old. It happened in uh, 2008, and he has already been acquitted. So that's part of their defense. How could he have been acquitted? He's never even been tried for any of these things. I mean, he, he, wa- he was on trial for really? a sex tape. Yes, he was on trial for a sex tape that happened, like I think, in 2002. And then he finally went to trial in 2008, and he was fully acquitted. The reason why was because the victim refused to speak at that trial and verify her age so the defense was hey yeah he had sex with a a young girl but we don't know if she was 14 or 18 and no and the girl would not tell her age so he was acquitted interesting interesting i mean look i don't know you're talking about a guy who literally went on 2020 and was interviewed and was asked whether or not he liked young girls and he was like what do you mean by young (laughs) Uh, i mean like these are not new allegations he was wasn't he married to a leo when she was like 15 uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, it's just like it was a long time coming. And like you literally had this documentary come out last week. And again, these are allegations and like let the process play out. Yeah. Carrie, do you have any thoughts? And again, guys, if you're watching via Facebook Live, feel free to chime in. We're talking about R. Kelly finally being indicted. Carrie? Yeah, I, I agree. It was interesting timing in terms of the Jesse Smollett story. When, you know, when the charges came out against him, a lot of activists online were saying, well, you know, we have all this evidence against R. Kelly that's been going on for years. And why hasn't he been charged with any of these crimes when, uh, you know, we have an alleged victim now being charged with a crime? So it is interesting timing. But I do think there is a lot of evidence over a lot of years. And so it's not surprising that he was charged, but it is unfortunate in some ways that it's taken this long, I think, for us, for us to come to justice. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of justice, I definitely want to speak about the civil asset forfeiture ruling that just happened because we want to know, Alyssa, has, is justice finally being served? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that this is the case that really decided that issue. Um, but what Selena's talking about is this week, um, the Supreme Court voted nine to nothing. Nine to nothing. That never happens. That's literally unanimous unanimous decision. It means that Brett Kavanaugh agreed with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, and what they said was that the uh, the provision of the Constitution that prevents excessive fines, which is part of the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution, um, number one, they say it applies to the states, that it's not just the federal government. Um, That's called the incorporation issue. Um, And number two, they also said that... um, different courts could now look to see whether or not when something was seized in civil asset forfeiture, whether or not that amounted to an excessive fine. Now, they didn't actually decide this case. In this case, uh, the guy was convicted of a drug crime and his car was seized and it was the car was worth about $42,000. And he made the argument that this amounted to an excessive fine on top of the fines that he had already paid in connection with his guilty plea. Um, the Supreme Court didn't it didn't say whether it was or was not an excessive fine. They just said generally that courts, the lower courts could consider it. And then they sent the case back down to the lower courts to determine whether or not the seizure of a $42,000 SUV amounted to an excessive fine or not. Um, And they also did not decide the bigger issue, which is whether or not civil asset forfeiture is unconstitutional in cases where somebody's actually not found guilty, which happens a lot. A lot of people, even if they're acquitted of a crime or they're never even charged, if the police can say that they believe that some of their property was linked to the use of a or linked to a crime, then they can come and seize that property. The Supreme Court did not decide that. Hopefully they are going to decide that in the future. So, you know, I will say this is a good first step. It's obviously a good indication that all nine justices agreed because uh, that leads me to believe that later on down the road when another court 
or, you know, when another case arises to the Supreme Court, that you're going to have the conservatives and the liberals sort of agreeing with each other. Um, But that remains to be seen. Nonetheless, I do think it's a really important case due to the fact that, one, it's the first time that the Supreme Court has really addressed civil asset forfeiture, and two, because it was a unanimous decision. Carrie, I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, especially the fact that it's taking place on a very conservative court. As Alyssa pointed out, Brett Kavanaugh himself has agreed, uh, you know, we're in the Donald Trump era where it seems like all is lo- all hope is lost. Uh, do you, Is this something, you know, optimistic or do you think that this is telling about maybe future rulings? Well, I'm hoping that it shows that the justices are at least trying to work together and, and find common ground when they're able to find that ground. Like Alyssa said, the, you know, the issue is a little bit more complicated because all they really did in this case was remand down to the trial court to find out whether the fine that was levied in this case by seizing the vehicle was actually excessive or not. So it's possible and probably maybe even likely that the justices may have disagreed with each other about whether the fine should be considered excessive. But the fact that they all agreed that uh, this could be considered an excessive fine is important. And also, I think it ties to proportionality, which is a really important criminal justice uh, principle. And, and, you know, it does give me some hope that the, that the justices were all concerned that excessive fines may be taking place in the first place. So I do have some hope, but I wouldn't hang my hat on this, this ruling as, as showing that we're going to be okay in the future based on this court. Well, not to be a buzzkill to kill that hope, but a self-proclaimed white nationalist in Maryland planned a mass attack to kill almost every person on Earth. Uh, this was recently unfolding, I think, in midst of the, the Jesse Smollett case, uh, where Trump was tweeting about Jesse. But I'm not sure he mentioned anything about the white nationalists. But I definitely want to get you guys thoughts on this. I mean, this is crazy. Literally, somebody who is in our National Armed Forces is like stockpiling weapons saying that he wants to start a race war. But then again, it's not crazy because like this is exactly what we should expect to happen in these times. And the fact that it's somebody in the military is not really that surprising either. And I'm not gonna, you know, generalize and say that people in the military are necessarily all like white supremacists or all conservative. Obviously, there's a lot of people of color in the military. Um, But it it also should come as no surprise that some like white skinhead in the military wants to stockpile weapons and start a race war. Yeah, but I mean, how concerned should we be, Carrie? I think we should be very concerned. And also, I don't think this is particularly a new issue. I I mean, it's new in terms of the armed forces. But for many years, there's evidence that white supremacists have been trying to infiltrate our police uh, throughout the United States. And so the fact that they're also in the military seems to make perfect sense to me. What's particularly troubling to me, especially, you know, in this case, but in many cases, is that when you know, people who are who there's very strong evidence that have violent intentions, such as this guy stockpiling weapons that he intended to use against people, are still somehow brought in alive and not harmed mm. during their arrest. Meanwhile, you have, you know, black, especially black men, but black people in general who are facing extreme police brutality for very limited crimes that are in many cases not even linked to violence. So, of course, I'm not advocating that anyone should be harmed, you know, during their arrest or that they shouldn't get due process. But why is the standard so different? And why is this a typical kind of situation where we see white men stockpiling weapons with very clear intentions to use them in in violent ways being brought in unharmed and mean murdered? Yeah, white mass murderers are still way more humanized than 
a black man on the corner at a bodega who, you know, happened to commit a misdemeanor or jump a turnstile. It's so bizarre that it's baffling. I remember when Dylan Ruth was, you know, when he killed people, you know, black church members praying, they took the they took him to Burger, Burger King. King and people were exactly. telling like the way he was described on news like this young kid, this young person. And it's like we had all of this. Well, I didn't. But a lot of people had all of this empathy for for Dylan Ruth and all of these mass murderers, even though studies show that most domestic terrorism happens because of a white man. And it's like, when they do something, why are we still being so sympathetic? Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I agree with a lot of those points. One, you know, as a civil rights attorney, I don't think anybody should be injured by the police when they're taken into custody, of course. Um, you know, it's just, it, it is this interesting juxtaposition. Last week, there was a story about a guy who was literally asleep in his car, and the police shot 24 times at him because they thought he was reaching for a gun when and they killed him while he was sitting in his vehicle in California sleeping um, and and I think he actually did have a gun in the vehicle um, but the autopsy report came back that he he literally was asleep he was awoken by being shot to death um, and then you look back at the Philando Castile story which is a black man in Minnesota who is a legal gun owner who literally tells the police officer that he has a legal gun and tells the police officer that he wants to step out of the vehicle and have the police officer disarm him, but that first he's going to get his registration out of the glove compartment. The police officer tells him, okay, no problem, get your registration, and then he literally gets shot to death while his girlfriend sits in the car next to him. And so there has to be some kind of reckoning in that sense. And the reckoning isn't that white people should get shot by the police and killed when they get apprehended. It's that, you know, black people should not get shot and killed by the police, especially when they're not doing anything wrong, and even if they are. I'm so glad you brought this up because Colin Kaepernick in 2015 I believe he took a kneel excuse me he took a knee on the football field for these exact reasons and he was blackballed and ostracized from the NFL for years on end because he took a stance and now it looks like he's in negotiations to play again and a lot of people like I was watching Stephen A. Smith and like some other people they think that it's a little they're a little skeptical because like the deal, we don't know the details of the deal. We don't know what he's getting. And it's like, you know, you have so many people who took that knee with him, whether it was like Rihanna or Cardi B who refused to perform at the Super Bowl because they were standing with Cap or like people like Alyssa who stopped watching the NFL because she wanted to stand with Cap. And it's like, you know, I want him to have a job. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, what happens to the protests? You know, will he continue to kneel during the national anthem? Or did he sign a deal where he's like, you know what? I have a job and I'm going to move forward. What do you guys think? I mean, look, that's a good question. We don't know what's in that settlement. Right. It's obviously a confidential settlement. Um, we don't know whether he's definitely going to play again. It's kind of, you know, it is one of those weird things where I find myself torn, kind of like the first story that we talked about. Because on one hand, I want him to play again. This is his career. It's his life. If he wants to play, I want him to be able to play. It's really upsetting when, for example, somebody has a, a career-ending injury and can no longer play. And in this situation, he is physically capable of playing, and I know he wants to play and he loves football. Um, you know, and, and for that reason, if he wants to be playing, I want him to play. But it also strikes me as kind of frustrating because you're right. There are a lot of people who got behind him who have been boycotting football, and you know, now they, they kind of feel like, well, where does that leave me? And I hope that as part of this settlement, 
settlement deal, he can continue to exercise, although it's not really his First Amendment rights because, you know, the the NFL is not the government. And so they can tell him that he's not allowed to kneel if they want to. Um, But, you know, I I really hope that he does continue to work at the social justice issues um, off the field, because I think that's the most important thing. Like, yes, we want to see him kneeling on the field. And yes, we've all gotten behind that protest. And that's really important. But it's also about what he does off the field to, you know, continue the fight for social justice. Because if he's on the field and he's playing and he's not kneeling, but off the field, he's doing a lot of work, then, you know, I can get behind that. That doesn't mean I'm going to start watching football again, because, you know, aside from the social justice issues, I'm also not watching football because of the many other issues, one of them being the CTE issue. Um, Though I will admit I did watch the Super Bowl this year because I I was kind of interested and I wanted to see what was going to happen. Happen. Um, but besides that, you know, I haven't watched the football um, all year and I don't necessarily intend to start watching it next year either just because he's going to play. Carrie, really quickly, because we do have to go on break in about 10 seconds. Did you have any thoughts you want to share on Kaepernick? No, I tend to agree. But based on what we've seen him do in the past, I have a lot of faith in him that he's going to continue working for social justice issues in the future. And I think we can continue to look up to him as a role model in that regard. Absolutely. So we do have to go on a break. Before we do, shout out to Edward Fitzgerald and Delany Holland. Thank you so much for tuning in, leaving comments on Facebook Live. We're going to go on a break. But when we come back, we're talking 2020. We're talking Bernie. We're talking Kamala. And we're talking how we can win in the next race. Like, where is he? No one's seen him. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. If just in case you're just tuning in or you forgot, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs, and we have our very special guest correspondent, Carrie, who is in studio with us while Stanley watches us comfortably from his bed via Facebook Live. What up, Marilyn? (laughs) Right, right. Um, All right, guys. So Bernie is back. He has proved that he has the stamina. He is back in the race, and he's in it to win it this time around. People like me are very excited. I voted for Bernie Sanders in the primaries, but this is a very different time right so bernie sanders he recently entered the race within 24 hours he raised a whopping six million dollars he has over six hundred thousand people who signed up to not only make one payment but to make reoccurring payments they're like bernie take all the money in my bank account that i don't have (laughs) right seriously we're gonna get you in here so we have bernie back in the race 2020 meanwhile a lot of us can't stop talking about Kamala. I mean, a lot of it seems like she may be pandering. I mean, she went on the Breakfast Club, talked about smoking weed and listening to Tupac and, and <laughs> Snoop Dogg before they dropped their albums. And, you know, a lot of people are even questioning her blackness. And they're talking about Cory Booker. It's just a lot going on in the 2020 race. But we here at Let Your Voice Be Heard, we wanted to start to unpack this and talk about what this race really means. We know we're looking farther out, but we need to strategize how we can win in the future because there's a lot of people that do not want a Democrat to win. And when I say a lot of people, I'm including trolls, bots, and Russia. Uh, Even Politico put out a recent report saying that there's some... 
not only interference, but the bots are actually getting a little more savvy. Uh, not only instead of creating like 10,000 fake Twitter accounts and just tweeting, what they're doing is they're they're taking messages that are somewhat divisive in nature and they're amplifying that. They're putting ads behind it and then real people are spreading those messages. So you have real people on social media, on Twitter, talking like, oh, Kamala's ain't, she, she's not all that black. I might have to stay home home i'm not voting for her cory booker he's a sellout and you know there's 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 a lot of talk there's a lot of chatter there's a lot of white noise going on in the 2020 election so that's why we need to figure out what's real and what's not and i wanted to open up this conversation uh, to you guys, especially if you're listening or, or watching via Facebook Live, I wanted to know if the 2020 election, if that primary was today, who would you vote for? And we have a number of candidates running. Um, I would vote for either Bernie or I would vote for Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I'm kind of tossed up between the two of them. Obviously, they both are very similarly situated in terms of their politics. I think they're probably the two most liberal candidates that are currently uh, exploring a run for president. Although I should say that although Bernie's definitely running, I believe Elizabeth Warren is still exploring a run. No, she's definitely running as well. She's definitely running. Um, I mean, look, the reason why I go back and forth is because I'd really like to see a woman president. Um, And so, you know, I, I feel like if you're going to have Bernie, you might as well have the woman version of Bernie. And to me, that's that's Elizabeth Warren. So um, if I had to vote tomorrow, I, I don't know if I'd vote for Bernie or if I'd vote for Liz, but I definitely think I would be voting for one of the two of them. That said, um, you know, regardless of who I might vote for in the primary, I definitely will be voting for the Democrat in the general. But I will come back to that later on in the segment. Guys, if you're tuning in and you want to call into the show, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. Carrie, if the primary was today, who would you vote for? Yeah, I actually agree with Alyssa about, uh, you know, being kind of for Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, but I would switch them. And I actually prefer Elizabeth Warren in mm-hmm. some ways. And, uh, you know, part of that is possibly as biased as a lawyer, because I know Elizabeth Warren has a long career of um, dealing with issues that are specific to consumer consumer protection. Um, She has done a lot in her career in terms of, you know, she used to be actually a bankruptcy policy professor for many years. And so she has an understanding of a lot of issues that affect average and middle class Americans in ways that a lot of politicians don't. And she uh, has a perspective from a you know a legal perspective. I think that's very interesting, and could be very crucial in terms of addressing some of these issues that Trump voters specifically care about. Things that hit them in their pocketbook that made them think that Trump was going to represent them in some way. When you know many of us on the left were were saying, why are these middle class Americans voting for this you know billionaire who who's not going to represent their interests? So I think in a lot of ways Elizabeth Warren could represent those interests, and she has a very good understanding of policy. Of course. Bernie is, uh, you know, also a great candidate. He represents a lot of the issues that I care about. And so really either one of those those two would be good for me. I think we we do need to uh, be careful that we're not demonizing any of the Democratic primary candidates because one of them is going to end up being the, the candidate and we don't want to split the left up like we did in the last election. So I think we, we want to say who's better, but we don't want to demonize any particular candidate. And I'm so glad you brought that up, uh, Carrie, because that was one of the lessons of 2016 that we need to apply and we need to learn um you know to answer the question i would vote for bernie but i will say that he was 
heavily criticized because he carried the 2016 election uh, primary on for so long. And then some people felt like he was very reluctant to support Hillary Clinton. Now, you know, I don't want to circle back and dig, you know, dive too deep into 2016. But that was one of the things that people said Bernie could have and should have done differently. And, you know, as a person of color, I know another thing that was a little problematic and continues to be is his connection to black voters uh, and black and brown people uh, in general. I mean, he has said a, a number of things that didn't always sit well with us. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I, I will say I do think that Bernie has learned. Uh, if we look at his staff, if we look at, you know, I think his chief of staff is a woman of color. He has diversified. Not only is he hiring women, but he's also putting more people in color around him so that just in case, you know, he's not always as connected to an issue that, you know, people of color care about. At least he has people in place who can educate him and properly inform him. I mean, he's the same candidate who, you know, back in 2015, 2016, when Black Lives Matter you know, stormed on his uh, podium and shut him down, he didn't always react in the best light, in the best way. He was kind of, I would say, like reluctant to really see how uh, economic issues are deeply impacted by race issues. Like you can't just say you're, you know, you know, I get it. The boat lifts all tides, but you have to understand as a black person, it's even harder for me. Right. I mean, look, here's the thing. I, I, I think that, um, you know, he definitely does have to do more outreach and he definitely does have to take a really hard look at what went wrong and why he did not win the primary the last time around. Um, and I know that some Bernie supporters feel like it was just like all the super delegates and like the Hillary thing. And, you know, some of that has some some legs to it. Um, but if you look at just like strictly speaking at the numbers, uh, Bernie lost the primary because he lost the South and the majority of the p voters that vote in the South. Not I mean, a good portion, not the majority. I shouldn't say that. That's probably inaccurate. But a a good portion of voters in the South are the black vote, um, especially when it comes to a Democratic primary. So if you cannot win the black vote in the South during the Democratic primary that, you know, even if you got all the superdelegates, you are not going to win the primary. And so that outreach to black voters um, is definitely something that is needed. Uh, you know, it raises an interesting issue because people say, oh, well, Bernie was arrested for protesting back in the 60s during the civil rights movement. And that's great and fine. And, you know, I'm glad that he did that. But also, you know, we are here in 2019 and it's like well what is he going to do for people of color today and and part of that criticism I think is fair because his focus has always been on working class people and part of that is working class white people which definitely should also be a focus when it comes to income inequality but there are many many issues affecting the black community that a candidate needs to focus at I mean when you juxtapose that you have to also ask the question would you rather have the white man who is advocating for dealing with income inequality and issues that are going to uplift black people or would you rather have the black woman who is a prosecutor who, you know, was laughing about jailing parents for not sending their kids to school? And so, you know, that's going to be a really hard question that black voters need to answer. I can't answer that question as a white voter, but, you know, you can, Selena. Yeah, no. And before we go on break, uh, th that's a great question, Alyssa. And the way I see it is every single candidate um, is problematic. You won't ever have that perfect candidate where you are agreed and aligned. Even President Obama was very centrist and moderate on a lot of issues that I wish he would have leaned more left and been more progressive. But the case of the matter is, I still feel that a person of color, even if their background and their policies and politics don't sometimes always align, they still can 
they still feel what it's like. Like they know how it, it, they understand institutionalized racism to a different level and a different degree. And they understand like overt racism and subtle racism. I just feel like they have a different perspective on life. And my hope is that they would apply that to um, their leadership and their policies and their politics. Now with Kamala, I think she's a very problematic candidate. I think she reminds me more so of Hillary Clinton who, you know, they we were aligned in a lot of ways but if you look at their backgrounds it's like can we really look past everything she did so i i don't know it's it's a tough call but uh, i will say if i had to vote today it would be for bernie i mean look just to, to interject real quick yeah. before we go to break there are a number of people that supported hillary in the primary that feel the opposite way they feel like you know that people got too bogged down in the Bernie thing um, and that they ignored some of his shortcomings, not just with respect to voters of color, um, but also respect to other issues, like, for example, the gun issue. Uh, there's a lot of people um, on the left that are involved in the gun violence movement, and I know, you know, Chad unfortunately wasn't able to be with us today, that think that Bernie's support of certain bills that had to do with gun rights don't align with, you know, the stances that Democrats should be taking. Uh, there are also a number of people that think that Bernie Bernie, you know, even though he has engaged so many people that so many of these people are like white men. And that's where like that whole like, quote unquote, Bernie bro thing came from. But that also ends up alienating voters of color that also, um, you know, back Bernie. There's been numerous articles that have come out over the past week that are like, I'm a Hispanic woman. I back Bernie. I'm a black woman. I back Bernie. Don't erase me. Don't erase me. Don't erase me. So, like, I think it's really important that we move on from 2016, that we reflect back, but we also move on. And we don't just assume that everybody who likes Bernie or is going to vote for Bernie is just a white man, because yeah. that's just not true. Absolutely. So on that note, we do have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere when we come back. We're going to talk about the importance of the black vote as well as social media manipulation in the 2020 because it's, it's going down. The Russians, the trolls, they are definitely on the attack. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Again, I'm Selena Hill here with Alyssa Fuchs, my co-host. Carrie is here and shout out to our intern Omar who is uh, checking our Facebook live. Thanks for the love there. So guys, we're talking about the 2020 race. We were talking about Bernie and, and Kamala and I cannot emphasize enough how important and crucial the black vote is as a black woman myself. You know, I understand the importance all politics are local. So I vote in every single election, but this one coming up, uh, the primary and then the big one, we definitely have to get out there. And I just want to say that be wary because there are people who are trying to divide our vote. They understand the power of the black vote. And what's been reported is that there is some there are some fringe groups uh, on the far, far left who believe different things and their voices are being amplified. I'm speaking in particular on something called hashtag ADOS. It stands for American Descendants of Slaves. And this group believes that only people who have ancestors who worked directly on U.S. based plantations are deserving of reparations and other policy reforms, right? I don't necessarily align with that, even though I do fit that description. But I will say their voices are being, there's reports saying that they're, they're being infrastructure and their voices and that argument and their message is being amplified and is being used to divide the black vote. And they say, look at look at Kamala. Right. How many people like question question her background as a prosecutor. Right. Talk about that. But why are we questioning her blackness? Why are we talking about Cory Booker, who I believe is like biracial and multiracial? Why are we talking about their blackness and what's happening? And what I'm afraid is going to happen is 
our votes, if they're too divided and too spread out, we won't get the candidate who is who will most who will represent us the best. So I'll say this, you know, when it comes to propaganda, it's real. Fake news, it's real. There are people there who are going to be selling messages like they did in 2016 about Jill Stein and and, and staying away from the polls because, you know, Hillary, ver- I mean, Clinton versus Trump, they were saying, oh, it's a lesser two evils. You don't really need to vote. And now look what happens. We have Trump in there who is absolutely horrible. And this this country would not be this, in the state it's in had Hillary Clinton been elected. So, you know, that's my perspective on social media manipulation in the 2020 campaign, because it's looking a lot like it did in 2016, except the potency has been turned up. I definitely want to get you two's uh, uh, re- res- res- response. Well, so a few, a few things. So first, we're getting some comments from oh. Amy Jones. Um, she says with respect to Kamala Harris, yeah. she's a cop. Um, I think that's a fair criticism. I'll adjust that in a second when I loop back around. She also says Stanley Fritz 2020, um, which is very funny. I wanted to read that. Um, you know, I don't think Stanley's running for president in 2020. Hope and I not. know a lot of people have said Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in 2020, although she won't be old enough. In fact, I will not even be old enough in 2020 to run for president, even if I wanted to. Um, but getting back to some of the things we were just saying, um, number one, yeah, I, I definitely don't think, I mean, obviously I'm not blacks, but I don't think it's ever right to question somebody's blackness. I mean, that's that's insane. If somebody's black, they're black. Um, you know, I mean, obviously people did that to Obama because of the fact that he had a white mother. And not only did they question his blackness, they also questioned his citizenship. That's part of what helped to get Trump elected. So, like, we obviously have to back away from that. There's enough there to question people about their policy that we don't need to wade into, you know, the color of their skin. Uh, you know, Kamala Harris, we talked about, was a prosecutor. Cory Booker takes money from the pharmaceutical industry. There's numerous policy issues that people can wade into um, that are true, that should be brought out and are going to have to be addressed throughout the primary that have nothing to do with the color of somebody's skin. Um, At the same time, I think that we also have to be careful about the propaganda that is spread around on the internet. And we have to realize that there are legitimate criticisms of all of these candidates, um, but at the same time, there are people out there, whether they are actually people, um, most of whom are not Americans, who are trolls, bots, um, and we definitely know that there's reports that the Russians are still trying to influence the election, and they are trying to take some of these legitimate criticisms and, you know, make them hyperbolic and amplify them and then get people in a situation where they absolutely start hating other candidates. And that is absolutely going to lead us right back to where we were in 2016. And we definitely have to avoid that as well. Um, I'll get to some solutions, you know, before we go to the end of our show. Right. Um, but before we get there. Yeah, before we get there. So, Carrie, so even a uh, political reported that Elizabeth Warren, she was doing some type of live stream in her kitchen. And while she was doing that, someone started tweeting that she had a blackface doll in her home. Someone put that out. Completely false, completely fake. But other people took that messaging and they're saying it was infiltrated by bots who put ads behind it. And that message spread like wildfire. This is what's happening. We're ha- we have an election where we're seeing extremism on social media and people. My concern is people don't have media literacy. They can't tell the real from the fake. 
You know, Carrie, yeah. is this a concern? I think it's absolutely a concern. And I think there are a few concerns really baked into this. I mean, the one of the ma- most concerning issues for me is we have a foreign government that's literally trying to influence our election via social media. So, you know, what are our current lawmakers doing to address this? I think that's a major concern of mine. You know, do they understand the issue? Are they regulating uh, Facebook and other social media outlets in a, in a proper way to try to avoid this type of concern? And, you know, it's not just that they're trying to influence our election. It's a combination of this foreign government power trying to influence our election via social media and the the types of uh, mechanisms that they have to manipulate people because of the huge amounts of data that they have about you. It's really targeted. It's really specific. I mean, they know how to manipulate us and they will. And what's our current government doing to try to address this? That's the most concerning aspect of it for me. Carrie, do you think Democrats are uh, prepared to combat trolls? I don't think anyone's prepared to combat them at this stage. I mean, it, it's, a, it's an issue with Russia right now, and they're obviously have come out on the side of Trump, and they're obviously trying to divide Democrats. But any foreign government could influence our election on either side the way that we, we currently have a lack of regulation. It's really up to Facebook at this point how they want to address it, and they haven't done a very good job of addressing it. So I think we need to ask our current lawmakers, why aren't you addressing this and what do we need to do to solve this problem? Because the election is coming and we're not prepared to deal with it. Right. I mean, look, and and it may just be that our current lawmakers don't want to deal with it because the Senate is run by Republicans. The White House is obviously run by Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, you know, benefits from this type of thing. He benefits from the social media manipulation. That's exactly what the Russians want. So, you know, just to get to some final thoughts, because it looks like we're closing out here. Right. So before we do that, I do want to get your final thoughts on how we can apply the lessons that we learned in 2016 when it comes to, you know, Russian influence, when it comes to Bernie, et cetera, in order to win the White House in 2020. Alyssa? So three things. Number one, Democrats have to look introspectively. And I don't mean just us as Democrats, as voters. I mean, the party itself needs to look introspectively at who they're, you know, potentially going to back. A big criticism that came from the Bernie group last time was that superdelegates and the party itself seem to believe that Hillary was entitled to the nomination before we ever have a primary. Um, I think that we have to get away from that this year. We have to realize there's a lot of people running. We all deserve to hear what they have have to say we all deserve to hear their policies and we all deserve to make our own decisions about what we want without the actual DNC or the DCCC getting involved and telling us who we should or should not support. That's number one. Number two as us as voters we have to one question everything we see on the internet we have to do our research and we can't just blindly follow something just because we see a meme that we might agree with or we might see a tweet we have we might agree with. We have to ask ourselves where is that coming from? Who is saying that? Is that true? And do our research you know and just don't blindly accept something you see on the internet and we need to push and you know elected officials and even social media to deal with some of these issues and deal with the manipulation that's happening and number three as voters when we go out we have to realize what happened last election you know I understand that there's a lot of people on the left that feel like they shouldn't be forced to vote for somebody that they don't support and I get that and I think in some ways that's valid but at the same time when you look back at the 2020 election Jill Stein won 90,000 votes in Wisconsin And Hillary Clinton only lost the state of Wisconsin by 70,000 votes. Now, that's not to say everybody who supported Jill Stein would have necessarily supported Hillary Clinton. But we have to realize that if we don't get out and vote and we don't back the Democratic nominee, that we are probably going to lose this election again. And we have to say, look, you know, it may not be who what we really want at the end of the day. um, But we really think that that's more important um, to beat Trump than anything else, because otherwise we're going to find ourselves in four more years of where we are now. Carrie, quickly, how can we apply the lessons we learned in 2016 to win in 2020? 
Yeah, well, it's an interesting question, and I don't know if the the lessons that we learned are actually do apply because this is a new election and it's possibly a different scenario, right? We do have a lot of people who voted for Trump who are not supporting him anymore, and so I think we want to take some some lessons that we learned and also strategize based on you know, demographics and polling. And I think we need to really look at what people think and use that and not just rely necessarily on on strategies that have been used in the past because the world is changing. Absolutely. And um, I'm just going to close out by uh, reading a comment that we got from Rush, Rush Haven, who says, this is a great discussion. In 21st century, war is raged through social media. Even if, for example, Russia doesn't get its preferred candidate elected, they can sow discord and division in the U.S. And that is their win. Russ, I completely agree with you. And I think the only way that we can win is by education, knowledge and power. We have to understand what went wrong in 2016 and we have to apply that in 2020. Us as voters and the elected leaders that we need to hold accountable. They should be more social media savvy. They should know how to tweet. They should understand the difference between, you know, propaganda on social media and or on Twitter and what's real. They have to have a vast understanding of that and they need to be able to combat that. And if that means we need younger people in office, then hey, I'm all for that. If it means we need more diverse people, then yes, that's exactly what we can do. So I'll say this, guys, don't forget 2020. Remember, elections have consequences. So let's take what we learned so we can win in 2020. On that note, I want to thank everyone who chimed into today's discussion on Facebook. Um, I also want to thank everyone who's listening via podcast and remind you guys, please support us on patreon.com with a donation. Again, that's patreon.com slash be heard underscore radio. And on that note, we'll see you again next week.